Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, welcome to a new episode of Sixers Daily. I'm your host, Jazz Kang. Before we jump into things, don't forget, subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us wherever you get your fix, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it, we are there. And of course, we're going to have you covered at libertyballers.com throughout the postseason for the Sixers, hoping it's a deep run. Joining me for this one, a special guest. She is the official voice of the Sixers, just completed her first season as a play-by-play announcer, Miss Kate Scott. Kate, we were talking a little bit before we started rolling here. You were working your tail off for eight, nine months. Yep. Now you're finally done. What is it like to have a little bit of freedom here? Uh, ask me in a couple more days, Jazz, because I'm still not sure. But as, as I told you before, uh, we just started chatting. And thanks for having me on. It's great to catch up again at the end of the season after talking at the beginning. Uh, I, I got my Pennsylvania driver's license today. So we're taking the adulting steps. Yes, these are <laughs> boring yet exciting things um, that I'm getting to deal with. So now uh, the title and registration of the car will come next. Uh, mentioned just locked down the house in Pennsylvania earlier this this week. So yeah, making the move full time, going all in, pushing all the chips to the middle of the table. But as far as the relaxation goes, uh, I think I'll probably know about that this summer because still totally into it, as I'm sure you are too. Well, it's it's funny what people don't understand about us who work in sports media. The adulting aspect of our lives usually takes the backseat. So Kate getting her her driver's license and closing the deal on a house—that's a big thing. That's a big thing for people like us. <laughs> somebody, somebody this morning <laughs> tweeted me because I just you know having fun with this whole journey thing said made it official like I'm officially a Pennsylvania resident. Um, and somebody tweeted, "Smart, wait to see if they make the playoffs and then get the." driver's license yeah yeah there you go yeah that's right like, well that wasn't the plan but i i see you i get it you just don't, we don't have time for it we're a bunch of big kids like i said sports media members we like being immature we feel like we're 18 years old the entire journey so good for you kate you're, you're moving on to becoming finally becoming a full adult um we wrapped up the first season, obviously, you know, working for NBC Sports Philly there and, and being the voice of the team, one of the first women to ever do so um, in, in the industry in terms of being on a full time basis. But looking at what you saw with this team now, we're going into round one against Toronto. That's coming up on Saturday, game one. What did you learn about this Sixers team throughout the season from the beginning where we met at training camp and kind of talk then to now, like you mentioned, game 82 in the books? Yeah, uh, I learned that they're really resilient uh, because you know, I'm sure most of your listeners know this was a roller coaster of a season. And uh, I, I realizing that this could be what it is every season, obviously, since this is my first go round on the roller coaster, but just thinking back to the beginning of the season where they were the first team hit with COVID and yes, then every other team had to deal with it, but Joel was gone for three weeks. Right. 
Um, after that, you know, Shake Milton, the guy who they said looked the best coming out of training camp of all the young guys in it, he was trading off. Let's flash back to the first month of the season. He and Tyrese were trading off who was starting as the point guard, but hurts the ankle, then gets kneed in the back by Andre Drummond. Obviously, the whole Ben Simmons saga that was going on the entire first half of the season. And the fact that the guys were two and a half out in the East going into the trade deadline, I, I don't know if people are giving them enough credit for that. And I don't think folks are giving Joel Embiid enough credit for that. Because if I was in his shoes, having to deal with all the noise and the smoke, whatever you want to call it, about Ben and never losing his cool in a press conference, I'm sure he wanted to say other things from time to time, but he never did. He, he stayed the course. And because of that, I think the team was able to get James Harden and, and start looking towards the future like they wanted to. So um, just the resiliency, the perseverance of this team, um, the fact that then when they got James, it hasn't been easy, right? Yes, he's an all-star and a superstar, and he's probably going to be a Hall of Famer, but to get somebody with 25 games left in the season or whatever it was, that's difficult. The other teams that they're having to go up against haven't had to deal with that. They may have gotten guys back from injury, but they haven't had to insert a completely new piece into things and kind of change their rotations up quite a bit. So um, I'm just really impressed with how this team has continued to lean into each other as opposed to letting anything on the outside distract them or injuries or COVID or the trade or anything. And the fact that here we are, and like you said, getting set to take on the Raptors on Saturday. Yeah, and you mentioned Joel, and looking back at that at that stretch where he missed those those three weeks, the team only won three games over that over that time. And realistically, I I agree with you; they would be most likely the number one seed if Joel suits up for even half of those games that he missed. And and you look at how close things were at the top of the Eastern Conference with Miami, Boston, obviously making its run over the last half of the season. Uh, the Bucks, you know, defending champs with Giannis there. But looking at Joel. You mentioned him and, and what he's been able to do. Led the league in scoring first center to do that since Shaq. Uh, you've yeah. heard this before. Moses Malone, first guy since then to average 30 points a game. But you got to see him up close and personal so often this season. What impressed you most about Joel, the basketball player, getting to see him, like I said, roughly 75 times this season? Yeah, pretty awesome, right? I, I guess we can start there. Just how much he was available and was actually a practice earlier today and Tobias and Doc both talked about that. The fact that he made it a point, the fact that the past two seasons, last year played 51 games, the season before he played 51, and I believe this year he played 68 of the 82. And again, he missed, I think, nine games with COVID. So imagine he would have played seven or eight of those at least. Um, so just his availability, being 7-2, being 280, being a guy who moves the way he does and is so active and is diving on the floor during the regular season for, for loose balls. Um, I think that was incredibly impressive. And then also just the way he plays for being a guy who's as big as he is. That, that's one of the things I've said in interviews. Like I have been for the first time calling a lot of things because there's no Joel Embiid at the collegiate level. So even though I called men's college hoops for a while, even though I called, you know, the summer Olympics last year, there is only one Joel Embiid on the face of the earth, a guy who is his size and is hitting baseline fadeaways like MJ and Kobe, right? Who has the footwork of a Hakeem Olajuwon up and under, underneath and a little finger roll, who is seemingly now a fan of letting the shot clock wind down so he can just fade away behind the three-point line, right? He's done that a couple of times. So I'm like, are you trying to get a little Steph Curry into the game too? Like, what's going on, Joel? But I think Rick Carlisle said it the other night, and you obviously listed off Shaq and Moses Malone. Um, and I know people are saying, yeah, Kareem. And 
But in my lifetime, because Kareem was when I was a little girl, um, like Rick Carlisle said, he has never seen somebody Joel's size and stature being able to play the game the way he does and make it look so rhythmic and almost like ballet because he's so smooth in the way that he does it. So it has been an honor and a pleasure to get to witness this, to get to see him day in and day out because it's it's not coming around again anytime soon. There's only one Joel Embiid. There's going to be other good players in the future, but this is a very special guy. Yeah, I was going to say, dude with the shot clock running down, how confident were you when he's chucking him up and, and he's hitting like 90% of them, it seemed like. I know, at the I'm time. thinking I need to change my call <laughs> and just get ready and maybe start screaming layup like James Harden does. <laughs> fly. One on the shot clock, Joel from 28, layup. <laughs> it's money. It was money every time. It, it, it's yeah. funny, even watching it, you weren't even, you were like, yeah, this is going in. You know what I mean? When there's four seconds left on the clock. The one so. off the backboard the other day too. It was like, yeah, of course, just casually off glass. <laughs> walk up to the bench tv timeout you know no big deal yeah he was he was so impressive to watch and as you mentioned his footwork and and the moves that we were seeing him do the ups up and unders and there was one hoop he had last week where basically had his guy sealed behind him caught the ball right in front of the rim and didn't even look it was like a keon clark move from the raptors i remember just turned back and laid it in that was that was great to see it was like us on our nerf hoops when we were little kids right yeah yeah word is on the door yeah that's me on like an eight foot hoop and difference is doing it on (laughs) 10 foot hoop so that's that's the difference but looking at you mentioned the ben simmons saga Mm -hmm. um that was obviously a big thing you know going back to what happened in game seven of the playoffs last season against the hawks in round two and we had that and i remember being at camp and you know everybody was saying the right things well we're going to go with the guys that we have and that's behind us and you mentioned that despite all of the noise joel when he addressed the crowd on opening night at the home opener said, Hey, you know what? We support him. We're, we're, you know, everybody should give him some love. And that didn't change the mind of Sixers fans as we know. And and we got through to February, <laughs> right, right. but the deadline happened. You were around the team so much. You're, you're obviously talking to people, you know, off the record and, and getting to, and getting to see them up close and personal. How much of an impact did that situation have on the team in your opinion, as we went through those, you know, five or six months until the deadline? Yeah. Um, it, it didn't have an impact. I don't think every day, uh, but I think we all witnessed there was waves, right? A news story would come out and then they'd have to deal with it again. And even though, again, I think they all did a wonderful job of dealing with it and not saying blank this guy, like he obviously doesn't want to be here. None of them said the wrong thing, which I was really impressed with because I'm sure everybody was feeling a certain kind of way. Um, so it wasn't a daily thing, but as the, the trade deadline approached, almost every guy had their name mentioned in a rumor, right? Tyrese was mentioned, Matisse was mentioned, obviously Tobias was mentioned a lot, but Seth, Andre, the guys who who went, they were mentioned. And you could just tell it was stressful because these guys are playing so well. They're a top three, top four seed in the East at that point. And they're thinking, man, am I, am I going to get shipped to some crappy team? Like, I bought a house here. Am I going to have to sell it? They all have, you know, families like there's so much more that goes into it that I I don't think fans have to think about that often, understandably. So, Um, so I think there was just a weight and kind of a cloud and I saw Matisse and I saw Tyrese um, the afternoon of the trade deadline after the trade had been made and just said like, I'm really happy you guys are still here. And you could tell there was a visible like exhale and they said, yeah, 
we're really happy we're here too. So I think there was, there was a lot of stress that the guys were carrying. And again, they did a great job channeling it or hiding it or compartmentalizing it. But I think it was way more stressful than anybody realized. And I think everybody's glad to be past it. Yeah, that was that seemed like obviously it was the big story in the NBA throughout the season and the fact that the Lakers stunk, you know what I mean? The national media was talking <laughs> about Ben Simmons pretty much all every week. And, and also now going back to that, the guy that they got for Ben, James Harden, one of the top 75 players of all time, former MVP. We've seen him do great things on the court, you know, at the now he's in the back half of his career towards the latter stages of it. Still second in the league in assists, obviously brings a playmaking ability that the Sixers lacked without Ben on the court. But there has been some concern about his lack of burst, his lack of athleticism, finishing at the rim. I believe he's in the bottom three for guards with a certain amount of attempts in terms of percentage from there. Again, you got to see him up close and personal through you know 25 games or so there. What were your thoughts on how, how Harden's fitting into the team and where do you think he might be lacking compared to what we might have seen from years past of James Harden? Yeah. Uh, well, I got to be honest, I was very pleasantly surprised when he got here because I'd had no interaction with James. My, my interactions had been covering the Warriors and seeing him with OKC way back in the day and covering the Warriors and seeing him with Houston. So, of course, it was, you know, screw you. You're on the opponent at that point. <laughs> I hate you. You're so frustrating. <laughs> you get fouls that aren't fouls. Right. The same thing that I'm sure most Sixers fans thought. And then he's on your team and it's like, sweet, we got him. So excited. <laughs> um, but I think there'd been a narrative that had been created about James. And I talked about this on some broadcasts about that, you know, a ball hog just wants to play ISO. So I went back, as I said on the broadcast, and did my own research to see if that narrative was true or if that had kind of been created and people had repeated it so long that it became the story. And that's what he was asked to do in Houston. And he did it. And he did it really well. And they were one of the top teams in the West for a number of seasons because that's what he was doing. But if you look back to what he was doing at OKC, it was different. He was much more of a distributor who could also score. But it seemed like that was the most comfortable version of James Harden. And he said that in interviews as he was transitioning from OKC to Houston. Um, anyway, kind of all over the map here. But I wasn't sure if we were going to see that. ISO guy who didn't want to be friendly with his teammates, who was just here real quick to see if he fit in and then check out, right, and go to the next team. And it has been the complete opposite of that. I mean, I was at his first practice with the Sixers, as I mentioned there today. I'm at shoot around and practice all the time. And he seemed to fit in immediately, was cracking jokes with guys, was letting guys crack jokes at him, which you know is a big part of being accepted, was always asking questions, which I always pay attention to. So they'd run through a set, defensive and offensive, and he didn't understand be right next to Dan Burke, right next to Dave Yeager, near Doc, just, just asking questions. They stopped some stuff today, and he was asking questions. They were working on defensive sets, which they're going to run against Toronto, I'm sure. Um, so that was really a positive for me, seeing that he wanted to be a part of the team, that he was completely invested. He's at practice early. He's staying late, getting up shots. So that's really great. Um, and then I think your question about what else he needs to bring, because I think the passing, as you mentioned, has been phenomenal. And I don't think anybody on the team has played with a guy who can get them the ball, right? That's one of the things that Tobias and some of the other guys have said, that they are so open on catch and shoot buckets now that that's what they are now working on before and after practice, because he gets them so open. Same with Joel. Joel said that after the first game, like, this is amazing. I've never been so open. But the same way that we're unhappy that James isn't scoring more, 
he's more unhappy than all of us. And that's what I try to say all the time. If fans are upset, if sports radio hosts are upset, the person who is responsible for, for that anger is the person who's most upset because he knows that he can play better on offense. So I don't know if the hamstring's not 100%. Can't tell you that. Um, I, I can't tell you if it's just him, him adjusting to a new team. He has said he's not used to getting so many open catch and shoot shots right he's not used to swinging it and have the ball swing back to him so he's been working on catch and shoot stuff too um but i I think his he wants his offense to be better um and i think we all do and if it's something that's not going to get better because it's not because of the hamstring because it's because of age i expect him because he is such a smart basketball player to figure it out and just to figure out new ways to score so i'm i'm very excited about the postseason and hopefully the years to come with james yeah, we're looking at that. And I think a lot of people, especially Sixers fans, you know, getting the week off now, getting some time to hopefully, you know, rehab that that hamstring as much as he can in a week. I mean, it's not going to get back to, I think, 100%. But hopefully we can see kind of some big offensive performances that we saw from him, especially early on when he joined the Sixers. Looking at this team now, 51 and 31, people are still acting like it's doomsday. It's like, relaxed. They're still a pretty damn good team. Um, you know, as much as you look at the Raptors. Like, you guys see the Pistons and the Pacers who we just played? Because they didn't even have 30 wins. So. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, because it, it, it's funny, because we were talking about that on the preview pod. We're like, man, as soon as I found out they were playing the Raptors, I was kind of like, uh-oh. But then I'm like, well, the Sixers are still pretty damn good. You know what I mean? Like, don't get don't get so doomsday. But I guess that's the way it is when you're in the Sixers world where you're expecting yeah. the worst. Uh, looking at this series overall, the Raptors, have Pascal Siakam, have Fred Van Vliet, two all-star level guys, although Van Vliet dealing with a little bit of injury issues and, and not looking as good as he was earlier in the schedule, but still a very good team. Well coached with Nick Nurse, offer a ton of length and athleticism. When you're looking at the Sixers, what are the keys, in your opinion, for them to be able to get past, a, which is going to be a very hard opponent in Toronto? Yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. And first and foremost, the thing I've been saying is postseason is hard. So whether you face the bad matchup in the first round or the third round, you're going to have to beat hard matchups in order to win a championship, whatever the sport is. So I understand some folks wanted to face the Bulls because, you know, Sixers were 4-0 against them versus 1-3, but bring it on because in some ways I think a tough first round battle can really get you prepared for the rest of the postseason. Um but I think, you know, reba- simple basketball things are going to prove the difference. Rebounding. We know how good on the offensive glass the Raptors are. We know because of their length, their athleticism, they don't have one or two guys who crash the boards. They, they have four, sometimes all five guys just going after it. So rebounding is going to be key. How, how do you do better on, on shutting them down, not giving them second chances? Well, you play better defense. So you're not scrambling and help defense and out of positions. So those couple of things – Got to play better defense. Got to got to try to step up the rebounding as much as you can. And then Sixers have not had a problem at all this season getting shots. They just need to to make their shots. You can't be missing bunnies like some guys have the last couple of weeks. Um, so and all I said it before our game against the Raptors. What a week and a half ago, they've all blended together at this point. But they're a team that just works their tails off. And I know that sounds so eighth grade basketball, but. <laughs> It's so true. That's one of the reasons they're such a good offensive rebounding team. And they're so frustrating. They double and triple Joel like like other teams don't. Nick Nurse is such a great coach. He throws out those junk defenses that everybody says. And I always say, well, if it works, how can you call it junk? (laughs) I know it might not be one you're used to seeing. So they just got to work harder. Like 
There's been plenty of times this season where all of us groaned because a guy didn't get on the floor for a loose ball. The Raptors are going to get on the floor for every loose ball. So you got to have that mentality going into this one that it's going to be kind of a dog fight that you're going to have to get down and dirty. And then you're just going to have to do the simple things that I mentioned and hopefully your big boys are making shots. Yeah, we're, I think everybody's looking forward to not only this series, but all the way across the NBA. This is the first time in years where I'm like, I don't want to miss the first round. You know what I mean? Like, usually you're like, all right, you know, whatever. I don't really yeah. care. Like, you know, you mentioned covering the Warriors up in the Bay Area. You kind of knew it was like whoever they play in the first round, it's going to be a sweep or they're going to win five. And we're yeah. not feeling that this season, even if like Atlanta, Charlotte, uh, Cleveland, you know, depending what happens with Jared Allen there, because I think Brooklyn is is going to win. But looking at that, like you don't know what's going to happen this season. That's why I think the NBA playoffs, although Phoenix, the clear favorite, I still think if you see a team like the Warriors, the the Grizzlies in the in the conference finals, they can certainly beat them. Kate, I wanted to discuss your first year on the job. Let's do that after a short break. Uh, Kate, I want to shift to your personal journey th- this season. Like I mentioned, you're the official voice of the Sixers, your first season doing it. And we did this back in September. Looking back at it now, what was one of the challenges you faced early on that you were able to overcome as the season went on in terms of just a new job and a new role and, and, and moving to a new city? Yeah, there was <laughs> there was so much circling back to how we started this pod, just talking about adulting. Um, there was so much going on uh, away from the court that I was trying to deal with. Um, but at the same time, I had to keep my focus as much as I could on basketball. Um, but just, I think, adjusting to the to the grind that is the NBA season now that I've been through one, it is a lot. I mean, you know, three to four games a week is a lot. In college, you're playing two. So uh, you got to do all the things that players do. You got to get your sleep. You got you to gotta drink your water. You got to stay healthy. Um, and then, as I've said in other interviews, the pace and the athleticism, and there is no NBA any place other than the NBA. The guys are faster. They jump higher. They're more ferocious and vicious with their physicality. So just adjusting to to the speed and how I wanted to call things, because I listened back at the beginning of the season and I felt like some of my calls were delayed because things were truly happening faster than they never happened before. So um, learning on the fly, I'd say that was the biggest challenge. Um, and not being too hard on myself because I'm relentlessly self-critical. That's how I got here. Um, so not beating myself up too much and just allowing myself to grow and learn each game. And I know I'm going to continue doing that for hopefully the next number of seasons. Um, but yeah, I think it was just kind of a culmination of all of those things, getting used to calling them hoagies instead of sandwiches, <laughs> um, getting used <laughs> to the snow, uh, moving my family across the country, you know, all that good stuff. But uh, as we've talked jazz, like I'm, I'm so happy to be here and feeling more and more like this is my home and that I've, I've been working my way here for a long time, just didn't know that this was the place because it's, it's feeling like home already. Well, as I mentioned, we're talking about sports media. You go through so many different opportunities and so many jobs and you don't know where it's going to end up. You're hopeful. And like I said, I could see just the way the smile on your face. You're obviously enjoying what you're doing here. When you when you look back at it, how long like when do you think you hit your stride? When do you think you actually got comfortable with, okay, I'm here and this is my job and my position and I feel like I know you always felt good about what you're doing, but in terms of you felt comfortable with where you were at, maybe with the position. Yeah. Um, I think probably, uh, end of January ish, which folks are saying was one of 
their favorite calls of mine this season. So I think it was the last day of January when Tyrese led the, the shorthanded squad past John the Grizzlies in overtime here, right? Um, because I'd been calling football with Mike Golick, which was incredible during the fall, but just added another layer of difficulty to trying to, <laughs> to trying to settle in because every Thursday and Friday I was traveling somewhere to call football on the weekends. Um, got COVID right around Christmas. So came back from that uh, family arrived in mid January. So I think getting done with all of that and then just truly getting to focus on Sixers basketball. Um, I think that's when I started to really relax and just be confident in myself and know that some people weren't going to like it and aren't used to this different voice and different person. Um, but if I just continued to be myself, they would start to come around. So I'd say probably end of January around that, around that Grizzlies game was where it started to happen. And I think it was evident in the way then I started to call games from there on out. Yeah, you definitely, definitely get a sense of comfort as you're, as you're going through. And as you mentioned, having your family there must've made a big difference as well. You know, like you feel a little bit more settled in a, in a new city. And like they tell you, you suck, but they still love you, which helps. So, you know, because exactly. usually just saying you suck and there's no I love you after it. So <laughs> it's nice to have that balance. <laughs> well, I appreciate my mom who who doesn't really use social media, but she has a Twitter account and she has like two followers, which are like me and my sister. But she likes every single one of my tweets. So I'm like, OK, mom, yeah. thank you. Thank you very Thanks, much. Mom. Yeah, that's she still thinks I'm crazy and like, why don't I have a nine to five bank job and all that? But I mean, that's a topic for a different day. Uh, looking at this right now, like getting to travel with with the team and being on the road all the time. What's it like to like, I know a lot of people for who are, you know, regular jobs like me, we're not on the road every time. What's it like to just be constantly traveling when they're on the road like that? Like, do you ever get caught up in, whoa, I need to slow down here or I need to get some sleep. Like how, how do you maintain that? Yeah, it is. Uh, it's obviously much nicer. Oh, my, my dog would like to talk. Piper, do you have something to say? <laughs> yeah, he does. He does. Okay. Do you want to sit down? <laughs> Thank you. And if she keeps barking, we can just pause for a moment and get back to it. Um, but it's obviously much nicer than most of us get to travel, right? There's there's a charter plane um, and then there's a bus waiting for us on the tarmac that takes us right to the hotel and there's keys waiting and then you go right to your room. So it reduces drag. It's incredible to, to get to travel with a team. But at the same time, you're working the whole time. So usually if we're getting to a city in the evening, I go right to my hotel room and I'm right back into prep, either watching a game or working on my boards, which are the things I have in front of me with a bunch of notes on them. I don't really leave the hotel very often. I usually order room service and then keep working. And then in the morning, buses are waiting outside for us to go to shoot around. And I like to be present as much as I can, because that's where, you know, I might see a guy talking to another guy and then all of a sudden they're making a great play in the game that night. So little moments like that help. And then back to the hotel and working on boards again, and then spending way too much time doing like hair and makeup for my 30 seconds on TV. Um, and then sometimes right from the arena to the airplane afterwards. So it is just a lot of work. They are business trips, um, but I was happy. Where were we last week? Went to think Indianapolis, uh, St. Elmo Steakhouse, <laughs> shouting them out. Um, was the first time I think I'd actually gotten out for a meal and it's some famous steakhouse. So I was proud of myself for getting out once in the span of the past two and a half months. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the thing. People think you're out like going out and doing things casual all the time. It's like, no, you don't have time for that. You know what I mean? I'm not the one with a sprinter van waiting outside the hotel. Like, <laughs> take me off to party. That is not me. <laughs> all right, let's, have, let's close it out with this, Kate. Have some fun with it. What are your three favorite road cities to, to visit during, during, your, during your work time and during the season? Ooh, three favorite road cities. Um, 
Well, we didn't get to do everything just yet. I didn't get to do the Bay Area road trip. So I'm sure that'll be a fun one because I'll get to go back and see friends because that was in November. But uh, Chicago is a pretty great city. So that was really fun. Uh, Stay at a beautiful hotel. Uh, The LA trip was really fun because I got to see a bunch of friends who I hadn't seen in a while. Um, Gosh, and... I mean, Miami's not bad. <laughs> that was, I, I, I didn't experience the South Beach nightlife, although all on others have promised to um, indoctrinate, me the ne- indoctrinate me the next time we go down there. <laughs> um, but just getting some sunshine and some beautiful weather, I'd actually never been to Miami before. So, so that was a lot of fun. And yeah, just looking forward to experiencing more in the years to come. Okay, honest answer, Kate. Least favorite road city. <laughs> <laughs> Least favorite road city. Well, just because the city didn't know what to do with the weather at the time, and it was our very first trip, we were in Dallas. Uh, That was 